And one more time, can we say thank you, veterans, to all our veterans in the house for their serving here on this weekend. All right. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to find the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. We're going to hang out there, move throughout the scripture. You need a Bible, raise your hand. Hey, True Worth. Hey, those that are online, uh, good to see you. Thank you for joining us in this way. And if you're joining us online for the very first time, uh, please kind of check in down there at the bottom so we know that you're there and folks can pray with you and encourage you in any way possible. Uh, we thank you for the miracle of technology and you joining us in this way. Uh, we have one more week in our message series that we're studying the book of Proverbs. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to deal with a pretty sensitive subject, I, I don't mind telling you. It's going to get kind of deep for a few of you. I, I wonder if any of you remember as teenagers, you're walking out the door, hang out with your friends, and your mom and dad says something like this, remember who you are. Anybody remember hearing something like that? Remember who you are. And I thought at 15, 16 years of age, I understood that. Until I get into my early 40s, and then it really begins to sink in. The church is growing. The church is thriving. We're still on two acres of land. The building is so full. We had no place for kids to meet. We had no classrooms for kids. They're meeting in the hallways. Adults were having to meet off-site if you wanted to meet as an adult. There was just no room. I mean, God was just favor, was just growing, exploding. So I found myself again walking around this little building just praying, God, God, what are we going to do? What do you want us to do, God? What do you want me to do? And the message came through so clear. He said, Rick, I'm really not so concerned about what you do next or about what the church does next. I'm more concerned about who you are becoming. See, I think as Christians, many of us spend most of our life trying to figure out, I want to do the right thing. What's the right thing to do? And I'm not sure that's God's biggest concern for you or me. It's not about what's the next thing you're going to do, right thing, but becoming the right person. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Underline it, asterisk. Mark it, double underline, whatever you have to do. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. We're going to put it on the screen, Matthew 12, 34. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, pretend this is you. This little diagram here, this T-shirt there, this is you. You know what the Scripture is saying? Everything that you do, everything that you say, every action or behavior that happens on the outside of you starts right here inside your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. Because everything you say, everything you do, everything that happens starts right there. Now, here's what this means in your notes, number one. I am never going to be fully wise until there's a transformation of my heart, until I have a transformed heart. You can have all the knowledge of the word, I hope you have it, 
all the wise counsel. We talked last week about decision-making, getting wise counsel. You can get all that, but you're never going to consistently act, speak, or behave wisely until this thing in here is transformed. Now, we all know this is true. We all do. Down deep, you know this is true. Because we are all, all of us in this room are just like the Apostle Paul. Same in three words. We're all like the Apostle Paul. And he puts it this way in Romans 7, starting at verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. He goes on. Down at the end of verse 18. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, that gummit, that's what I keep on doing. And you know this is true. Because you've come to worship here this morning, and you're going to be all filled up and jazzed up with the worship music and everything and whatever, and you're going to get out in your car, and you're going to get out in the street, and you're going to go park somewhere for a restaurant, and somebody's going to back in your way, and you're going to go, ah! <laughs> you're going to go, oh, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't want to. Tomorrow you're going to come home from work, and you want to come home and be a, be a good dad, be all present, and the kid's going to come tug up on you, daddy, 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 mommy, 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 and you're going to go, hey, Bob, you're going to blow up, you go, oh, why did I do that? I didn't want to. Is that right? I mean, you have a baby, your first baby, you haven't, you, you haven't read the book, right, but you had your baby, it's an infant, it's your furry first one, and everybody knows even without reading the book, when a baby cries in the middle of the night, an infant, two or three weeks old, what do you do? You get up. You go check on the kid. But you choose to fake snore. <laughs> Hoping the other spouse will hear and get up. Am I lying? No. You know what you're supposed to do. See, wise people understand this. Wise people get this. If you want to be wise... You know, everything you do, everything you say, every action that you have really comes from this guy right here, the person in the heart who's pulling the levers and dials of all of this right here. And the most unwise person in the world, in fact, the Proverbs calls them the foolish person, is the person who thinks that you have enough will, your willpower alone, you are strong enough that you can do the right thing, say the right thing, behave the right way, even if your heart is not right. Now, I will tell you, you might be able to do that for a while. Yeah, it's called fake it till you make it, right? You do it for a while, but eventually, eventually, people are going to respond not to what's going on out here, they're going to respond to what they sense is in you in here. Let me give you an example. I got a letter from a guy. It was a real snail mail. It was a real letter. And he told me he didn't like me. He said, I just don't like you. And he told me why. So I called him. I said, hey, listen. I shocked him that I called him. He said, listen, I just want to come by your house and talk about this. Kind of figure this out. Let's we can talk this out. He said, okay, come on by. So I came by. I wasn't upset. I said, man, just tell me what's going on here. And so he told me and everything like that. And when we left, he said, I still don't like you. <laughs> what do you do with that? Now, what's so fascinating that everywhere I go out in public, when I see this guy, he's nice to me. 
He goes out of his way to do these nice things for me and to pretend like a Jesus follower is supposed to be, that he's a good Christian. Now, what do you think moves me the most? What he does and says to me on the outside or how he thinks and feels about me in here? Above all else, guard your heart. I think that is exactly why the Apostle Paul worded this way. I'm not, I'm not going to read it to you. We're going to put it on the screen verbatim. I want to paraphrase the first three verses of, of 1 Corinthians 13. It goes like this. Man, if I can speak so eloquently in such a way that people can understand stuff, but if I don't have love in here, I'm just a big pile of noise. Who cares? It goes on in verse 2, that, that if I had the gift of looking into the future and telling people what's going to happen, and if I could understand things that nobody else can understand, and if I had this power to move these things that are in the way of people's lives and in my life and get them away, if you can do that, nothing. If you don't have love in here. It says in verse 3, Listen, if you show up at Thanksgiving and you cook all these turkeys all night long and debone them, put all these hens of all apart, if you do all that, and you make a thousands of deviled eggs to take the sake to the night shelter, or you serve up on Christmas Eve right here and you sacrifice for your family so someone else can know to Christ by serving on Christmas Eve, you can do all of that. Birthday gift to Jesus, right? Birthday gift to Jesus. You bring your sacrificial birthday gift to Jesus on Christmas Eve, and man, it's a sacrifice. If you don't have love in here, nothing. This is where we're going this morning. We're going to open up our hearts to allow God to do some serious surgery on our hearts. And I want you to know, this is not easy stuff. This is, this is, this is challenging. Anybody who's ever heart surgery, you understand the challenge and all the tediousness of heart surgery. In fact, we're told in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all else, almost beyond cure. So this is not easy stuff. So this morning, I'm just going to try to share with you some things that God is teaching me, and I've not got it all right yet in my life. Believe me, I'm going to tell you I haven't. But I want to share with you what God is teaching me about what it means, what it means to guard the heart and how this all works. And I'm hoping some of you are going to really sort of going to help you maybe in your family, in your parenting, understand some things. For some of you, it's going to help you understand what's going on in our nation and the polarization in politics, even the black and white thing or the, or the immigrant stuff. It's going to help you. I'm hoping you can, this is going to apply in so many ways. It's going to be up to you to apply it the way God wants to touch you and speak to you, okay? Now, I'm not going to turn and read it. But when you first become a Christian, over in Luke 9, 23, 24, you're going to be asked to read Luke 9, 23, 24. If you're here watching online, True Worth, you don't believe in God, man, you're welcome here. I want you to know. Anybody here that can hear my voice in this room, if you don't believe in God, you're welcome here. Sometimes it's hard to believe. I get that. It's, it's, a, it's hard to believe. But if you get to a point where you want to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, Luke 9, 23, 24 is one of the first verses someone's going to take you to. And here's what it says. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And whoever loses their life 
actually find their life. And so when you hear that verse, you're okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. The first thing a baby Christian does, or beginning Christian, you think, i got to die to my non-ideal self. That is my bad self. So you start working on dying to your bad self. That is your greedy self. Your sexually immoral self. Your cussing self. Your lying, stealing, cheating self. And you really work on that because you want to die to self. That's what the Bible says. But if you stop there, you're never going to have a transformed heart. You're never going to have one. Because that's really not what it means. It means something so much deeper. Letter A in your notes. If I'm going to have a transformed heart, I have to die to my idolized self. That is my ideal self. You see, the chief challenger for your heart It's not something happening out here. Listen, please. It's the part of you that you take the most pride in. It is the virtuous image you have of yourself. We call it the idolized self. And I will tell you, it's a serious heart condition. It's serious. It impacts not just how you see yourself, but how you see other people and how you treat other people. It's serious. I'm going to show you what this looks like. Pretend right here that this is you. This is you. This is a t-shirt. It says, I am. It says, I am hardworking. I am smart. I am good. I am made for big. I am self-made. I am caring. I am independent. You say, this is me. Everybody here in the room, online, true world, has their own list if you were to do this. And you say, Pastor, I don't know how to do this. I I promise you, you all have this. This is your identity, how you see yourself. And if you don't know how to figure that out, I will help you. Just go look at the people that you criticize and judge the most and pick the opposite, and this is your list. And this list is not necessarily a bad thing until it becomes your idol. And when it becomes your idol... You will do anything you can to protect it and prove that it's true. Let me show you how this works. The opposite of this is what you judge and criticize the most. So if you're someone who judges and criticizes someone that, is, that, that you, you think is uh, lazy, you idolize that you're hardworking. If you, if you criticize someone that you think is maybe not the, the sharpest knife in the drawer, it's because you idolize that you're smart. That's on the throne of your heart that you're so smart. You take pride in that. Greatest pride you have in yourself. Or, or maybe if, if you're someone who just always is judgmental about immoral people, it's because you idolize how good, take pride how good you are. Or if you idolize someone uh, that is uh, that's kind of a leech, you know, they don't really work very hard. They kind of they get successful based on what somebody else has done. You take pride. I am self-made. I did it by myself. I didn't have to have a lot of help. I did it all on my own. I'm a self-made man. Self-made. You take pride in that. Or you, you idolize caring. That means you look at other people that are that are not very sensitive, kind of a little callous. And man, you just have nothing to do with people like that because you try to judge they're just kind of heartless because you idolize how caring you are. 
Or some of you, you idolize it, you're independent. So someone's needy, you have a judging critical spirit. Can't be around people that are so needy because you idolize, man, I'm independent. Why do they have to have so much? Now, here's what happens here. You actually have to look down in other people what you want to look up to in yourself and what you want other people to look up to you. And you need other people to fail exactly in the same area where you need validation. And that gives you the freedom to criticize them and judge them to validate this person right here that you think that you are. That's what's happening. And this person right here, you become so attached to this person because this is where you get your value. This is where you get your self-worth. This is where you get your identity. And when anyone's going to threaten this, all of a sudden, that impacts how you respond to them and re- or react to them, and they actually become a, 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 an enemy, someone you cut off from your life, someone you jump all over. This is real stuff. So I'm visiting with a guy who was just a kind of a friendly conversation, and all of a sudden he starts talking about... Uh, uh, about his job, right? And uh, he's angry with himself and people around him because it's all sucked up in his drama. Maybe this is you at your work. Maybe this is you. You consider yourself hardworking, right? You consider yourself hardworking. And the boss shows up and asks you a question What are you doing? And all of a sudden you get offended. Broke the bear. You're upset because now you're thinking that you, they think you're lazy. Hey, what are you doing? You heard, hey, you lazy bum. You get upset. You're at work, right? You're the smart woman. You're the smart woman. You're the sm- having a conversation. And someone challenges what you think, your opinion. And because you think you're the smart one, what you hear is, hey, you're, you're questioning my intelligence. And you get a little uppity. You get a little defensive. You get a little prickly. You little touchy. Or you see yourself as made for something big, right? Hey, you're the big cheese. And someone comes and they give you a list of stuff to do. And you go, you're treating me like a peon. I have all these tasks. I'm I'm made for something bigger than that. So my friend, we're talking. He's at work and he, he, he can't stand his job. And he's thinking about quitting his job because People don't respect him. They don't like him. He has this anger for people. And so I could have just said, man, you're right. I think you need to quit your job. You just need to, (laughs) I don't blame you. They're not treating you right. I I get that. He has some valid reasons. But instead, I thought, you know, this is an opportunity to challenge who's on the throne of his heart, his idolized self. So I asked a question. I'll say his name is Tim. Tim, tell me, how do you see yourself? He said, what do you mean? I said, what do you most take pride in in you? So he told me a few things, but it wasn't very much. So I said, okay, Tim, tell me. Think about the people that get under your skin the most, that you're quick to judge or criticize or to say something about. Tell me, what are those things? So he told me, and I picked the opposite, and we put it on the list. So now we got this napkin with all these things. Okay, Tim, this is who you think you are. I am. This is it. Now tell me, Tim, when you look at this list, when you look at this, 
your situation at work, is there anything at work that's threatening how you see yourself? You say, well, yeah. I can't, in my situation, well, I can't be the top dog. That was one of his phrases, top dog. I'm, I, I see myself as the top, a top dog. I said, okay. Now, the people you work with that you're so angry at, are there anything that they're doing that's threatening this list? He said, yeah. He actually said, they're treating me like peons. And I said, Tim, a couple more questions. Do you think if you see yourself as the top dog, that other people you work with realize you see yourself that way? His mind's going, I said, maybe. And Tim, if you're the top dog, why does that make them? Now his mind's really clicking. And he says, uh, well, that makes them not very important. That makes them less important. And so maybe they feel like peons because they see me treating them like I think I'm the top dog. And so what they're doing, they're treating me in a response to how I'm treating them, and I'm treating them as a response to how they're treating me. And what the happen is, bingo, we're both just trying to protect our self-image of our idolized Self and I went, yes. He was about to quit his job, a good paying job, to protect this because his self image was being challenged. Now, church, this is huge. If you get this for some of you to know what it means to really guard your heart, what's on the throne of your heart, if you're a leader or you're a boss, please listen. Leaders and bosses, some of the worst decisions you have ever made as a boss or a leader has been to protect some part of you, whatever that list is, that has been threatened by somebody who works for you or with you. Because you've got to protect your image, the way you see yourself, what's on your heart, your idolized self. And you don't know what's going on, but I promise you, the people that's working for you, they know. And you can't even see it. And they quit. And you wonder why they quit or why they leave. People don't quit. You've heard this before. People don't quit companies. They quit bosses and managers who had themselves on the throne. Well, pastor... What if this really is me? I'm hardworking. I'm smart. I'm good. I'm made for something big. And hey, and I'm good looking. Where's that on the list? Right? <laughs> maybe you are good looking. And maybe you're all of these things too. That's not the point. Here's the point. When you need to be these things, and you need other people to believe that you are these things, And you will do anything to make sure they believe it, even to overinflate it by having condescending views of pushing other people down so you can feel built back up. And when that happens, all these things right here are for the purpose of giving you glory instead of Christ alone. Oh, church, this is such real stuff right here. 
when Jesus asks you to die to yourself, it's not just all the bad stuff. It's not the nine ideal stuff. That's not the true threat. The threat is the idolized self, the part of you that you think is so good and so cool that you take such great pride in, that you want to be. But when you die to that, when you put it in the coffin and you bury it and Christ resurrects it, God can take all these wonderful things and use them for his glory to bless people. And your motivation is pure. It's not about you. It truly becomes about God. And your identity, this is no longer your identity. This is not who you are. The scripture says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. My identity is in Christ. See what great love the Father has lavished on us? That we should be called the children of God, and that is who you are. And that is your identity. Not all of this. And my question for you is this. If you believe that you are a child of God and you're really buying it, is that enough? Is that enough? Is that enough to know that you are an heir to all the promises of the king? Is that enough for you? Is that enough to know as a child of God you have an inheritance that is greater than anything that's connected to what people believe about you on this stuff? That you have access to the resources of heaven to the goodness of God, to the holiness of God, to the favor of God, to the grace of God, to the forgiveness of God. You have, is that enough? If God never does anything more, can you find your identity in that? And if you can do that, this guy can be crucified. And you can experience life like you never had before. The spiritual surgery is his rough stuff. And you got to die every day. You got to die to yourself every because this has a way of creeping back up and taking over the throne of your heart. Secondly, here's the second thing that God is teaching me is that if I'm going to have this heart that's been guarded, that really where Christ is on the throne, where God is on the throne of this thing, I got to learn to process the emotions of loss and disappointment. I got to learn to process the loss of emotions and disappointment. Most of us walk around in this room, and this is why your marriages and your parenting and people at work don't like to be around you. We walk around like we're a bottle, a two-liter bottle of Coke that's been shook up, and something happens, and the top gets cracked, and something else happened, and pretty soon a volcano on everybody, everywhere. And then you go, why can't I just manage my emotions? I don't understand. Why can't I manage what I'm feeling, this anger, this sadness, this overwhelming feeling, this frustration? Why can't I manage it? I'll tell you why you can't manage it. Because you have inside of you a lot of pent-up emotion. And you can't manage your emotion. Your emotion manages you if you don't know how to process it. It just does. For example, so many of you, when emotion happens, something happens in your life, anger. You've been abused. You were betrayed. 
and it hurts so bad, what do you do? You just push it beneath the water and you stuff it because you don't want to feel it. You don't want to deal with it. And so you keep it there as much as you can, and then something happens and you get distracted and it comes to the surface. It's always going to come to the surface, but we just bury it. And you say, Pastor, that's not me. I've never had anything really bad happen to me. I've never been abused. I've never been betrayed. I've never been let go. I've never had, I've never had any experience like that. Church, every single person in this room who can hear my voice online, every single one of us have accumulated emotional pain of losses and disappointments in our life. And I'll show you how. When you're born as a baby, a newborn baby, the greatest want and desire of a baby is to have the perfect, unconditional love of their parents. And there's very few child that ever gets it like they need it. You get to be this tall. And now all of a sudden, what you need from your parents, three words, two different ways. I love you. I am proud of you. And you need to hear it often. Every human being is made with a desire to hear from the people who gave them life. Often, I'm proud of you, and I love you. And so few hear it when they really, really need it. Loss, disappointment on the inside. And then you become an adult. And as an adult grown-up person, every grown-up person, you want to be accepted by somebody you want to be liked. You want to belong. You want to be respected. And when that doesn't get met to the extent that you need or you want, loss, disappointment, and emotion, it starts building up in here, and you're not even aware of it. It's there. You can't separate the two. Church, I could paint a hundred different stories. I could tell you a hundred different ways over the course of your life that you've experienced some kind of loss, some sort of disappointment. We live in a fallen world. You don't always get what you want. And when you don't get what you want, all of a sudden there's loss and disappointment and emotion inside of here. It just, it's just the way it is. Or you get something and then it's taken away. Someone you love dies. You lose something that you wanted. And something that you wanted to get and then it's gone. The minute you say it's not fair, every time you speak those words, it's not fair. There's something in your soul where you fix loss and disappointment and there's an emotional reaction building up on inside of you because it's not just and not fair and there's an emotion attached to it. I promise you. We have got to learn to deal with what's going on in here. You've got to learn. If you're going to have, take care of a, have a healthy heart, you're going to have to. We've got to be like the psalmist. We've got to leave out King David. King David was on the throne for 40 years. You know how much loss and disappointment King David had for 40 years while he was on the throne? Yeah, he was the greatest king ever in the history of Israel. The greatest ever. He had death, friend, child, betrayal. He betrayed. So much shame, so much guilt. But he didn't get stuck in the past. For 40 years, he ruled the throne because he dealt with his emotions and he went forward instead of backwards and didn't bury him. Here's what most of us do, because you were not taught this in kindergarten. And because your parents didn't teach you. Parents, we just keep passing down the same thing, don't we? From parent to parent, to kid, to kid, to kid, to kid, to kid. 
you start feeling some sort of pain or sadness or anger or frustration, and you don't like it. So if you don't like it, you get busy and you bury it. You push it because I don't want to, I can't feel it. I can't cope with it. Then something happens, you get sad and you say, oh, I feel so sad, I can't talk about it. So, so now you're going to binge on Netflix. You just start watching Netflix for three or four hours, five hours, six hours, show after show. And now you're watching TV, you got to eat. So now you just start eating and you're trying to cover up and medicate all the pain and you're in a relationship and she doesn't love you and she doesn't understand you. So you get on Facebook and start playing around in a little relationship with people online to feel valued and to feel important. And that's not good enough. And so you want to go into the pornography and that kind of, you get hooked on pornography and that kind of satisfies and medicates the sense of loss and being individual and all. And all, you just, you just keep pushing it all down, but eventually it always comes to the top because you can't hold it down that long. And you wonder why your marriage is in trouble and your kids run away from you and people don't like to be around you at work because you're not real processing what is going on inside of you. we got to learn to process it and get real at the psalmist. And when you feel anger, you can tell God you're angry. The psalmist told God, God, I cannot believe this is happening. you got to learn to process it in, harm, in ways that are not harmful to other people. That's why you have all these explosions of anger in the world where people take guns and they watch shoot a bunch of people. I'm talking churches, it's all complicated, but it all comes back to unrealized needs in a person's life that's created all this stuff in their heart that can spill it out. You've got to learn to handle it in ways that then spill out in other people. You've got to get honest about it and deal with it. Sadness. You've got to get honest about your sadness. Listen, sadness is just sadness. It just is. It's God made you that way. Psalm 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Lord, please hear my words, God. Hear my lament. The word lament means sadness. God, just hear what I'm experiencing, God. Hear what, what I'm feeling, God. Church, sadness is not bad. Oh, I'm not walking with the Lord. If, I, if I'm sad, people are going to think there's something wrong with me. No, they're going to think you're a human. Did you know that God knew you were going to be sad and have things that are going to bother you before you were born in your mother's womb? He put tear ducts as a relief valve. So when it all builds up in here, it has a place for it to come out to help you keep healthy and not destruct on the inside or kill and destroy other people. It's just sadness. And you've got to learn to deal with it. A little extra credit. I have time to do this. Extra credit. And then I'm going to wrap this thing up. Extra credit. Because this is important for some of you. You cannot forgive someone until you process your emotions. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can say, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. But until you deal with your anger or your hurt or your sadness on the inside, you cannot release that person fully and be free, and you have not forgiven them. You haven't. And you can't. And here's what that means. Your heart, this right here, this idolized self, it's fueled by revenge. It's fueled by revenge. That's how you prove this is who I am. This is right. You stick it to them. You got to hang on to their revenge. Make sure, make them pay. This is who I am. You don't understand me. You don't get me. You don't like me. Boom. So you get revenge and lay it on them. And as long as your heart's seeking revenge, you can never crucify this guy. You never can. You don't want to. 
because it fuels your anger and your emotion. And if you keep that emotion, you have this cycle of dysfunction. Relationship to relationship to relationship and anger. And no wonder our world is in the middle of a hess between political divides and color because we never got honest in processing. Just leave it at that. Here's the final thing in the heart to bring us to where we need to be. If I'm going to have a heart that is really where it needs to be with God, i got to get in touch with the deepest desires of my heart. And we're told what that is over in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 5. We'll put it on the screen. It said, God has set eternity in the human heart. That the deepest desire of my heart is the desire for the experience of of the presence of God, the purpose of God, the perfection of God, the love of God that's buried deep, 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 deep in the crevices of my heart. Jesus put it this way, Matthew 6, 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, seek first eternity. That's what it means, seek first eternity, and then all this other stuff will go on. But you got to seek that first. That's the deepest desire that God has put in your heart. So how do you get there? How do you get there? Because so many people never get there. This is, this is where most people live. This is where most people live. Yeah, there it is right there. Most people live at the casual level of our heart. There's the casual level. There's the critical desire. There's the deepest desires. Casual desires, critical desires, deepest desires. How do you get to that right there? Here's how you do it. You wake up tomorrow morning and you have your Bible. And you sit down with your Bible. You get your journal, and you go, this is what I'm going to do this morning, Lord. I'm just going to deal with the desires of my heart, and I want to get, get in touch with it. And so you're going to stop there, and uh, you're going to go, okay, what are my surface desires? My surface desire, in fact, right now, my, right now, my, my, my top desire is that Rick will stop talking. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want, because I'm hungry, and I want to go to brunch. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking pizza and ice cream, and just all sorts of stuff. I mean, I'm hungry, and I want to get there to see the first of whatever the NFL stuff. I just, that's, that's my desire. That's what I really want to happen, take a nap this afternoon. And so you don't judge or analyze. You just what are what the surface casual desires. You start there, and then maybe you go a little bit deeper, and you start thinking, man, i got to go to work tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday. And, uh, whoa, man, i got this situation at work. It's so i got to figure it out, you know, and those bills are going to come in. I'm not sure how we're going to pay that. And we're going to have this meeting tomorrow, and i got to deal with this issue. And boy, my desire is that somehow that would just go away. I really don't want to deal with it. And you just kind of keep going. You keep going. My finances, our health insurance. How? I can't even afford to go to the doctor right now. And i got this body. It's just kind of hurting me right now. So... You keep, but, but you don't analyze. You just keep going. You keep so deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you go a little bit deeper. You get into the bottom section, ventricle of the heart, and you go, oh, you know what I really need? I need a couple of good friends. I need somebody who really knows me. They know the stuff on the inside that I don't let people see, and, and they still like me. They accept me for who I am, brokenness, 
shame and all so I don't have to pretend all the time and cover up you know I just man, I really, I really could use that you know and you keep pushing you keep pushing you keep pushing and finally if you, if you keep pushing staying there you're going to a place where you say you know what I really desire I desire eternity I just want to be in the presence of God I want to know the perfection of God I want to know the holiness of God in my life. I want to know the purity of the love of God in my life. I want to have that in my marriage, the love of God, the true, perfect love of God. I want to have that in my family. What, what I really need to know is that I'm forgiven. I need to know the forgiveness of God, my deepest desire, God, the, your forgiveness, to be assured down deep that I really am forgiven, God. God, you know what I want? God, I really want to be forgiving. I really want to let to stop holding on to that revenge. It's the deepest place in my soul, Lord. I just want it to stop being about me. And just all about you. And you just keep digging, you keep digging till you get to the deepest desire that God has placed in your heart for eternity and you just stay there as long as you can and you stay there until you want it so bad you will do anything even allowing this idolized image of yourself to die and go away so God can resurrect it for his glory for the blessing of all the people in your life. God, I don't know what you've done here this morning. Down at True Worth, I can't see, but you can see. Those that are online watching the privacy of their hospital, their bedroom, their car, I can't see, but you can see. God, I can't even see what you've done in the hearts of the people in this room this morning. But I trust you've done a little surgery. Don't leave them hanging. Don't leave them bruised and broken with their heart or chest wide open. God, finish the work you have done. Surround them with people. Surround them with people who will love them and care for them and nurse them and help them grow until all of us are so guarded in our heart that you are on the throne. That we look like you. That we talk like you. That we act like you. And we love like you. So that what you're doing in heaven be done through us on planet earth in Jesus name amen and amen thanks for coming take some time to visit with one another if you're a guest I'd love to meet you and we'll see you next week and we'll wrap this thing up bye